thank you very much. What a precious way to start the day and start the service. I am Bill Jenkin. I am your missionary. Terry and I have been your missionaries for a long time. I hate to say how long. It makes me seem old. And I don't feel old. In fact, uh, I tell people, and I, I kind of set my wife up. We have celebrated our 50th anniversary. And she says, 51. <laughs> She'll say it from the congregation, 51. I said, I'm rounding down so we don't seem so old. Terry sends her greetings. Right now, she is driving from Anaconda, Montana to Helena. We are pastoring a mission church there. It became a mission church under our leadership, and it is uh, a, a revitalization work. Things are going very well. I'll share a few things about that. First, let's get into the Word of God. If you would go with me, please, to the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at the first 10 or 12 verses of the book of Acts. Uh, I conferred with Pastor about my time here. And he said, I know you love the book of Colossians. And I thought, well, that's an interesting thing to say. Well, I keep records of what I preached where. And I looked at uh, First Baptist Church in Allegan, and I have preached on Colossians a lot here. It is one of my favorite verses. He said, I want you to preach on Colossians. He says, but I, I want you to give an introduction to the Apostle Paul. And I thought, wow, what kind of an assignment is that? I love it. I love the thought of that. And and it's been good for me. I'm still learning, as you are. I'm still growing and finding some good things here in the Apostle Paul. We're going to start in chapter 9, verse 1. Just a little bit of background here. We see the stoning of Stephen. Stephen comes on the scene in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, it says in verse 54, they, Stephen presented the, the history, really, it's a good history of Israel and the history of them rejecting God over and over, and now rejecting God as he's in the very form of Jesus Christ. Always has been, but now this was new to them, and they rejected him. He says, now when they heard these things, in, in chapter 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged. These are just, that's a strong word in English, but in the Greek language, it's, it's even more powerful. I want to I tear you apart. I don't want to just say shut up and quit talking. The enrage here would be, I want to cause you bodily harm. And you know the story. Most of you know the story. And, and when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing in the right hand of God. And he said, Behold. Now, how do you think this would affect those people who were enraged? One of them was Saul of Tarsus. Now, I'll call him Saul of Tarsus, the Bible does, before he was saved. And then when he came to Christ, we call him Paul. The, the Bible isn't quite that precise. Sometimes he's actually called Saul again. But the idea is it's the same person. So if you hear me say Saul or you hear me say Paul, it is the same person. And he was there. He was witnessing this. And this man that they're hating so much that they want to kill him, and indeed they do. Behold, he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. I had an opportunity to minister to a 15-year-old kid. And I've lost track of him. I'm sorry that I've lost track of him. His name was Jimmy. 
Jimmy was always in trouble. And I sat down with Jimmy. They called me. He was in a special home for boys. And they said, if you can't do anything with Jimmy, we're going to have to kick him out. And kicking out meant that he would go into the penal society. He would, be, he would be in jail. And so I sat across the table from him. And as I was sharing things with him, he did this. He took his hands and he put them over his ears. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I can't hear you. I said, yes, you can. He said, no, I can't. <laughs> so Jimmy, I, I don't, I've lost track of him, but today, Jimmy is either a preacher or a prisoner. There'd be nothing in between. I'd be real sure of that, that he's either in big trouble or he's out there serving God if he yielded himself as an instrument of righteousness. So this seems childish, but they put their hands over their ears. And, they, and it says, they, verse 58, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The reason I'm taking time to read this is this would have an impact on Saul of Tarsus. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. I'm going to take my coat off so I can better throw stones and kill Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. The, the people who hated him, who were killing him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And this means he died. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And let's go to chapter 9. Could I encourage you to do a few things whenever... You read scripture, or hear scripture, or hear a sermon. Let me encourage you to do a few things. I'll encourage you to do that today with Acts chapter 9. First of all, read it like you never read it before. This is going to be a familiar story to many. Uh, I'm rejoicing. Pastor and I talked, and Pastor said, this will be new news to some people in the church, and that's always exciting. I love the idea. We saw three people come to Christ two weeks ago. And I love, I love having to say, turn to Rome, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, rather than say, everybody knows Romans 8, 28. This particular couple that came to Christ, I watched them in Sunday school. First time they came, they're in Sunday school. They're struggling to find the book of Mark. They don't have a clue. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I knew nothing. I could not have found the book of John. If someone would have said to me, uh, Bill, turn to John 3.16. I, 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 what in the world is a John 3.16? I wouldn't have known. I'm not being flippant when I say that. If they would have said, Bill, I'm sorry I embarrassed you. John is in the New Testament. Now I'd really be embarrassed. What's a New Testament? And those are the people that we see coming to Christ. Rancher Tom, we have a Bible study with him every, every Monday. I have three discipleship Bible studies with people who come to Christ on Mondays. And Tom's a rough old rancher. If you asked him how many times he'd been in a fight, he's 58 years old. How many times have you been in a fight? A fist fight. Knockdown drag out. He was raised in Wisdom, Montana. That's a rough town. And, and as an adult, now not as a kid, he was a scrapper as a kid, but 
he wouldn't be able to tell you how many times he's been in a fist fight since he's been an adult. I visited his wife two weeks ago. I, I see her every Tuesday. She comes to town and they sell beef out of their, out of their freezer. And it, it started to be a, a, a new model for them because of COVID and now they've stuck with it. It works very well. And I said, how's Tom? We'd had a Bible study on Monday. I see her on Tuesday. How's Tom? Oh, she said, Pastor, he's a different man. His temper, he's not explosive. Little things, things that don't matter. Throwing tools and cussing out everybody and his, his grown boys, their grown boys, are looking at him. First they said, Dad, what's that religious guy coming around? I, every, time, every time they would, not every time they would come, but every Monday they would see me there. They work in a fabrication shop. And, and the ranchers, what's that guy keep coming? He says, we're having Bible studies. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. And for him to say that was just huge, just a huge testimony. And God is changing our lives. And Tom couldn't have found the book of Genesis, wouldn't know that Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And he keeps a bookmark in his table of contents. And I said, now, don't be embarrassed. If I say, you know, you can find the book of Psalms by going, brr, 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 oh, there it is. You can find some of the other books. You can't find Habakkuk that way. You can't find Obadiah that way. And don't be embarrassed. Just use your table of contents. And our Bible studies are fabulous. The Lord is just so very good. And thank you. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 17 says, not because, I desire, not because I desire funds. We're actually talking about funds. You support us. What does that mean? You pray for us and you support us financially. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire the fruit that may abound to your account. So when I tell you about Tom coming to Christ and Jolene rededicating herself to Christ, that's fruit that abounds to your account. When I tell you about the couple and their little boy that came to Christ two Sundays ago, what, what, what about that? Well, that's not just a good thing that's happening in Helena, Montana. That's fruit that's abounding to your account. And so what a privilege to work with people that if I read this story to Tom, he would be seeing it for the first time. One of the things I try to do when I read something, especially a narrative, but all the scripture, number one, read it like you never read it before. You know, if you're not careful, pastor can say, let's go to John chapter 3 and we go, Oh, yeah, I, I know that story, Nicodemus. Don't do that. I know you wouldn't do that literally, but don't even do that mentally. There's new stuff there. It's a live book. There's no other book in the world like this book. And so when I read this to you, and I'll make some comments, try to visualize, first of all, read it like you never read it before, and then use some sanctified, I call it sanctified imagination. Ask God to help you visualize what was going on. I have developed over the years, this may sound funny, I have developed over the years a new appreciation for Saul of Tarsus. You mean the Apostle Paul. I mean Saul of Tarsus. The man was filled with zeal and things were black and white. And I'll share a little bit about that. Number one, read it like you never read it before. Number two, use some sanctified imagination. Number three, ask God to help you understand it. You can't understand this book on your own. He'll help you understand it. And then number four, you're ahead of me here. Ask God to help you make, make application to your life. How does this apply to me? What can I learn from this? And so we begin in chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter, well, it doesn't really mean slaughter 
it really means slaughter. You wouldn't suggest that Paul's a murderer. Paul was a murderer. We witnessed it in Stephen's life in just a few verses that we read. He was part of that mob. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. You see, part of my appreciation for this Saul of Tarsus, he was wrong. But rather than just say, how could he be so stupid? Part of my appreciation is that Saul was a brilliant man. And he was far-sighted enough to realize that there could be no peaceful coexistence between militant Judaism and between militant, and it was militant. And no, we saw that in just a few verses. There could be no coexistence, there could be no friendship with authentic Christianity. Gamaliel, we only see him once in Scripture, and he gives advice, and his advice was wrong, by the way, but Gamaliel was an instructor of Paul, and likely he would advise moderation to Saul. But Saul saw the incompatibility of these two faiths. Either, either Judaism was right, and Christianity was apostasy, or Christianity was right, and Judaism would be obsolete. How would you receive that if you were Paul? They're trying to use some sanctified imagination. We learn from Philippians chapter 3 that Saul, or Paul's birthrights, my mother-in-law came to Christ when I was preaching on Philippians chapter 3, showed all of the birthrights of the Apostle Paul. Wow things that he'd inherited because he was Jewish. And then all of the achievements, some estimated, and, and this makes me smile, how would we know? But Paul likely had the equivalent of a double PhD. And in Philippians chapter 3, when he lists his birthrights and his achievements in the Jewish religion, that would drive him into a head-on collision with authentic Christianity by his own biased point of view, Christ was a blasphemer and Judaism was right and Christianity was a cult. Now, from his mindset, as I'm trying to use some sanctified imagination, Jesus of Nazareth was dead. So that's a big problem out of the way. And yet, and yet these followers of Jesus... These Christians were something else. And the sooner they were dead and buried, the better off the world would be. I see his logic. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 30, the Apostle Paul drawing from Deuteronomy. He was a, he was a student of the Pentateuch. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, Paul wrote later on in Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so the, the, the conclusion is simple. The Bible says, Cursed is anyone who is hanging on a tree. Jesus Christ hung on a tree. How simple can it be that he was wrong, that he was an imposter, and he deserved to die? 
I believe that would have been Saul's reasoning. We catch a glimpse of that, of the opposite then, as he learned in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, talking of the Lord Jesus Christ and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And then he says, even the death of the cross. In Saul's unconverted days, those claims of Christ would have been impossible because he hung on a cross. But in his converted days, the Apostle Paul would realize that those claims were the most impressive thing. Read it again. He humbled himself. Think of the Apostle Paul writing this now that he knows Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Bearing shame and reproach. So we see in Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Against the disciples of the Lord. The word slaughter is used ten times. In the New Testament in its Greek form. And eight times it's translated murder. How would he accomplish this? Well, this same passage is going to tell us. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So how, Jesus is gone, but these people are still following him. Incidentally, make sure that you understand we are still following him. I had a very sincere man come to me one time after a sermon and says, and says Bill, you always talk about following Jesus Christ. And, and he said, I love my grandpa, and I followed my grandpa, but my grandpa is dead, and I'm hearing going, oh, no. And he says, I can't follow my grandpa anymore. I can follow the teachings of my grandpa, and that's what we do with Jesus Christ. We can't follow Jesus anymore. I, some of you are saying, I hope he's going where I think he's going with this. And I said, Oris, no, no. We're not just following the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. He is alive. We are following Jesus. And according to these teachings, make sure we stick to the word of God. So he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus and the synagogues that if he found any of this way, some say this way, some versions say the way, whether they were men or women, might be brought and bound unto Jerusalem. So this Saul of Tarsus and his desire and his driving energy and his determination to destroy Christianity appealed to the high priest for written permission to kill Christians. And as I mentioned, notice in Christianity described as this way. That's used half a dozen times in Acts. One of the earliest descriptions of authentic Christianity, the way, or this way. It was used by the Lord himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to tell you something. 
people will accept your Christianity. I'm a Christian, I'm a Baptist. They'll accept that until you say something like, and that's the only way. It's not just that Jesus is a way. He is the way. He is the only way. And that's very narrow-minded of us to say that. Frankly, we're following in the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was very narrow-minded of the Lord Jesus Christ to say, I am the way. And people understood that. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, the first part. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. The Damascus road from Jerusalem stretches about 200 miles. And that's not like us hopping in a car and taking off to drive 200 miles. It's just a really short sentence. He's going from Jerusalem. He would have, he would have had plenty of time to nurse his hatred toward the Christians. I mean, he's on an, he's on an errand now. A task for life. I don't know this, and when I don't know, I'll say I don't know. But I wonder if, this, if Stephen's face, like an angel, haunted him. If it did, it was overpowered by Saul's fierce Pharisee hatred. That's what made up his life. So at last he came to Damascus and he's bitterly determined to destroy Christians. Think of it. That Saul would come to Christ is indeed a miracle. John Phillips, I read this and I, I tried to paraphrase it and I thought, nah, he's, he's writing it so well that I'm just going to quote him. And John Phillips said, and I quote, no man could have reasoned with him in such a mood. No man on earth, that is. But there was a man with nail prints in his hand about to stand astride Saul's path and bring a miracle greater than raising Lazarus from the dead. End of quote. And we go to Acts chapter 9, the last part of verse 3. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Later Paul would give testimony of this give testimony for the first time in Acts 22. And then also in Acts 26, he would tell that story, saying it was high noon when it happened. And that miracle took place, that light from heaven that would reveal, pinpoint, that he was wrong. And that light would give just that light to his darkened soul. It was the Lord from heaven. Acts 9, verses 4 and 5. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Those are important words. Notice he didn't say, why are you persecuting them? Jesus Christ was gone. We know that he didn't stay dead. Thank you. So sorry. I need all the help I can get. We're good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 9. <laughs> I'll know to watch it. It feels kind of loose. And... All right. So.
So the conversion of Saul was undertaken by the Lord himself. Someone said, it wasn't Philip, because Saul was no Ethiopian eunuch. It wasn't Peter, for Saul was no, Corn was no Cornelius. God in his sovereignty, it was the Lord himself. To Paul, the Savior was not so much Jesus of Nazareth, but he calls Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, the, the Lord from heaven. He says the second man is that Lord from heaven. And he never forgot that heavenly vision. This view of the risen and ascended Christ colored his thinking, not just influenced him, but colored his thinking for the rest of his life. And Paul would never forget the truth about the body of Christ, the church. I wonder how many times he went over that in his mind. Why are you persecuting me? When in Paul's mind, he was persecuting others. And in the mind of Jesus, the body of Christ is just that. Understand that. This isn't just a history lesson, dear people. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're part of the body of Christ. And we ought to act like it. Paul understood that there's a link between the head of the church in heaven and the members of the church on earth. Again, John Phillips says, so then, one moment Saul of Tarsus was riding high, secure in the impenetrable armor of his iron-clad prejudices, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. The next moment he was prostrate to the ground, blinded by such a light as had never shone on the earth, and listening to such a voice would charm the very angels of God. Lord, Lord, who art thou, he said. And the reply must have been devastating. Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you persecuted. I am Jesus. He must have been aghast. He had persecuted the Messiah of Israel. He's realizing that now. I wasn't just chasing after a fraud, a heretic, a leader of some cult that Gamaliel said, it'll pass. If it's, if it's not real, it'll pass. And it hasn't. He had persecuted the son of David, the son of God. He'd laid violent hands on those beloved of heaven. And that's not just them back there. That's us right here. Highlighting, I trust, our responsibility to be dedicated to him, to yield ourselves, Because true Christianity is not gritting your teeth and clenching your fists and saying, I'll try harder. True Christianity is yielding ourselves as an instrument of righteousness to him, Romans chapter 3. I mean, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. So now, he who had been buried and rose again 
He's in power and very truth. The ever-living one at God's right hand. The Lord changed him. And the thrill for me, dear people, is it's not just something that happened. It's something that's happening. I shared with you last year, Terry's cousin, Jer, came to Christ. I said we witnessed to Jer for 20 years. I keep forgetting how old I am. I witnessed to Jer since we were 20. We worked together. We worked for the Anaconda Company, and we were in a, a crane, an overhead crane. And that overhead crane had a, a cab about this wide. Well, actually, about, about this wide and that long. Not this wide, but this wide. And we'd spend eight hours a day there. And he rejected Christ. And then last year, came to us and said, we need to talk about that some more. Accepted Christ. He's in Yuma. He winters in Yuma. And we have a Bible study every Monday. I call him at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we have a Bible study at least until 10, and sometimes 10.30, sometimes later, and he's learning, and he's growing. We're looking at the second coming of Christ. And he's just amazed. I never heard anything like this. That's wonderful. The Lord changed him. Verse 9. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And from that moment on, Jesus was the Lord in Paul's heart. He was the Lord in Paul's mind and his soul and his will. He was the Lord of Paul. The old Saul died. Later he would write to the people of Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ. And that's true of you if you know Jesus as Savior. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the new Saul stood in Christ, and he stood on resurrection ground. Jesus was Savior and Lord of his life from now on. There's so much more, but I will share. As I mentioned, we're having Bible studies with Jer. And uh, he's learning and he's growing. He does very well. We're working through a, a book together. And sometimes his answers are more thorough than mine. And I tell him frequently, you do my heart good. And he does. He does my heart good. Going out with Tom, I go the rancher, who's also a, a fabrication shop. He can build anything. i got to be careful I don't covet when I go there. <laughs> kind of like going to Craig Shop's shop. Yeah, yeah. About seven guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing we got Craig to lead us astray here and cause us to covet. And I, I go out there and we do some projects together. I said, you know, I'd like to hire you to build a, a jib boom for my tractor. And he said, I need one too. I said, what, what would we need to do? And he said, I'll tell you what, you buy the material and I'll build yours and I'll build mine and we'll call it even. And I certainly got the best deal in that. So I have a jib boom now. I put my forks in the boom and, and it'll extend from there uh, 11 feet out. And I can reach and pick things up and... And you say, well, that's got nothing to do with the Lord. It's part, of, it's part of it. It's part of working with him. He knows that I can help him in the shop, and 
Sometimes I just stay out of the way, and sometimes I help him. But the real important thing, he's learning, he's growing. Jer is learning and growing, praise the Lord. The couple came to me two Sundays ago. They were new in church. Uh, his name is Anthony. Her name is Audrey. The little boy's name is Brentley. It's one word, and they make sure you know it's Brentley. And he's a winsome little guy. Never been in Sunday school. He told Terry after it, that was amazing what you told us in there. Just all new to him. He told me after the message. Now, bear in mind, he's not been around to see people say this. But he came to me after the message and says, that was a really good talk. I learned things. I said, well, good. Good. His mom and dad came to me after the service just two weeks ago and said, we need to accept Christ as Savior. And, and Brantley does too. And I just smiled. I didn't say, well, you know, we're not going to drag him along. But I said, okay, take time to greet the people here some more. And uh, let's meet up front in about 20 minutes. Because the people visit and, and they like that. And so we came up to the front after 20 minutes and I sat in front of them. One of the guys from the church, faithful family, got 10 kids. One of the guys from the church came and brought one of his daughters and sat down with them. And I thought, wow, this is neat. Good for him to see me lead them to Christ. Or, or if they didn't accept Christ, good for him to see. And good for his daughter to see. And as I'm sharing the gospel in a very appropriate way, Jess participated and says, oh yeah, when I first heard that, and it was just really, really good. So, so I asked then, do you understand? Do you want to receive Christ? Anthony, yes, I do. I'm ready. And his wife, yes. And by this time, I'm convinced that the little boy, he's nine years old, has a better grasp than his mom and dad. You know, a young, sharp mind and new to all of them. Uh, we recently had a, a church, and, and we're well cared for. You people contribute so much to that. But we recently had a church drop our support because they're only supporting mis missionaries that take the gospel to those who've never heard it. And probably the last seven or eight people that I've brought to Christ could not have found the book of John. I mean, these are people, and uh, so I, I tried to go up and meet with, I let the air out of the pastor's tires. And, no, I didn't. I, I didn't. The next lesson will be that we still have an old nature, so. <laughs> I love to tell the success stories. However, they're not all success. I led a fellow to Christ. And he claimed to be a Viking, claimed to be a follower of Odin, and no growth. I started weekly Bible studies with him on Wednesdays, and just no growth from the beginning. And there were some things, I don't go around looking for stuff, but he's a business owner, and uh, the business is, it's a, it's a pawn shop, and he plays music that's just filthy, and here he's a new believer. And I had to say to him, I said, are you listening to that music? And, and I, I don't mean to be, to be crass, but I mean filthy in that filthy words. Not, I don't mean just not my style of music. That's, that's immaterial. And uh, after about five weeks of me going into study with him and seeing him all the time, he said, I, I got so much going on in my life that I don't have time for Bible study. 
And I'm still friends. I go check on him now. He's lost the pawn shop, but he works in an auto parts store. And I go check on him. He receives me like a long-lost grandpa. He said, you remind me of my grandpa. He's 24 years old. And so they're not all success stories. Of course not. But the success is that we share the gospel with a lost and dying world, and we leave the results to God. If you would continue to pray for us, we would appreciate that very much. Since I've been here, uh, Terry and I were in California and came up through California and stopped with the aunt and uncle, uh, her aunt and uncle. And you know, you have your favorite aunts and uncles. They would have been it. And uh, went there and we, we started talking with them and sharing what we're doing and, and trying to start the church, a revitalization of the church. And she's very interested, and she said, I received Christ as my Savior. Well, Aunt Arlene, that's amazing. When did you do that? And she told us. And I said, Uncle Wendy, have you received Christ? I was sitting across a room. It's a, a big, beautiful house, and, and probably about from here to there, and he's sitting on a love seat. And I got up and did something that I didn't really need to do, and when I came back, I just sat next to him. And uh, I brought one of my tracks. I have a business card that has the gospel in a nutshell, and, and I shared with Uncle Wendy, and he, he, was, he was ready. I'm careful not to push. I'm really careful not to push. I've been known to say, well, you understand it. I appreciate that. Uh, let me come back in two days. Would you think about it? Because authentic Christianity is a thinking man. And I know some people, recently I had someone say, that's wrong. What if they, what if they died before you got back on the next two days? And well, God is a sovereign God, and the Holy Spirit is not a butterfly. That is, if he's working on their life today, I better do something today because the Holy Spirit may not be here next week. He'll, he may be some other butterfly garden, and he's not a butterfly. He'll be there. And, but in Uncle, Uncle Wendy's case, he was just absolutely ready. And what a thrill to say, would you pray to receive Christ? And he did. Amen. He's almost 90 years old. We rejoice. Thank you. Continue to pray for us, if you will. Uh, we are doing very well. We're driving 100 miles to go to church. That's not ideal. Uh, they felt that I should be their pastor, and we agreed. Uh, the big need, if we could get a young couple out there that I could work with and, and actually mentor and train him there, they can't afford a pastor. Uh, they tend to be very generous, but they just can't afford the whole wage of a pastor. So we want to grow them where they will be able to do that. And that's what we've done in the other four churches that you've helped us to start. All four of those churches were able to call a pastor and, and pay him. And not just to get by salary, but pay him a good salary. So pray for us there. Pray for safety as we travel. Uh, we get up at 6 o'clock Sunday morning, and which is, that's not, that's not a burden. But we leave the house at 7.30. And we're just under 100 miles. In fact, if we make a little detour out, then by the time I get home in the afternoon, we've driven over 200 miles. So, and I, I say that to praise God. We drive over beautiful mountain passes. We have our choice of two mountain passes. Both of them cross the Continental Divide. And one comes into the uh, west end of Helena. The other one comes into the south end and goes through Butte, Montana. And either one is just a beautiful road. We've determined that the one that's on the interstate, I-90, uh, it goes through real, real beautiful pass, and the mountains are right there on the side. 
and we've pretty much determined that there's a couple of curves there that don't get any sunlight all winter long. So we pretty much take the other way and we enjoy that. We see deer, we see elk, uh, we see coyotes as we travel, and we see a couple cars, but not very many cars as we travel that. So if you would pray for us, we sure would appreciate that. I share these things about the Apostle Paul, and my question to you is, has there ever been a time in your life that you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know that you know? If there's a doubt, talk to God about that. I, I've led many people to the point of saying, Lord, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. And so if I'm not saved, I'm getting saved now. And if I am saved, I'm rededicating myself now. And God understands the heart. Brother Pastor, would you come and just dismiss us however, however you see fit, please? Or with someone else? Oh, okay. Thank you. See, I haven't been here for a year, so you've got to retrain me. Yeah. <laughs>